like I say, man, I have a, I have a good heart, I feel, and I, I want my community to thrive, but I want everyone in my community to thrive, not just the folks that who have been afforded opportunity. So I try my best to create opportunity to where as I can spread those opportunities around. That's my, that's one of my biggest goals, man. After taking care of my kids and getting to heaven, I want to make sure that my community is different because of something that I did. From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I talk with Terrence L. Barber, a man who is as passionate about this community as anyone you'll ever meet. He is especially driven to make sure the entire community has the chance to make positive changes in their life, regardless of what part of town they live in. He has created programs and movements that back up what he says, and he is a loving father who wants to make sure his kids have every chance to be successful. We started with a question about how he would describe himself today. I'm a very community-focused, uh, faith-driven uh, family. I love my kids, uh, my mom, my entire family. But um, I do have a, my heart absolutely belongs uh, with my community. And I try and go out of my way to make sure that everyone in my community has a fair say. You know, your early years, what your family, parents, um, siblings, upbringing, kind of what was your situation as a, as a young kid? Well, to be frank, um, growing up at the beginning stages was a little rough. Um, as most, a lot of people in my community, I dealt with a uh, single parent household. Uh, my father who was an awesome father. Um, may, may God rest his soul, was an awesome father once he went through his different changes of, of, of things that happened in his life. Um, but my mom, for the most part, raised us uh, by herself. I have three other brothers um, from my mother and father. Um, we were raised in a home together. My mom always made sure we had everything we needed. It's not one of those stories of coming from nothing. My mom always had a good job. She was uh, the director at the Leon County Public Library for about 30 years. Wow. I mean, as yeah. long as I can remember, my mom worked at the library, and she always had a big office. That's <laughs> so uh, and my dad, once he got it all together, he did. You know, he started his business back up, and a lot of what he poured into me is um, a lot of what I live by still to this day. So, I mean, yeah, we grew up in Tallahassee, you know, at a point. It was kind of rough, but it, it kind of all turned around, and I think we all turned out pretty good. You know, you say it's rough when you look back on it now. How did you feel about it then? Did you think it was rough when you were a kid? At the time, there was a sense of normalcy. Um, a lot of my friends lived in the, lived in similar situations. It was actually kind of odd for someone to talk about their dad being home. I mean, in my circle of friends, um, especially kids in my neighborhood, most of them grew up in households uh, mainly led by their mothers. So it wasn't a, I mean, it was, a, I always had a, a fondness for my father. So I do remember times when I would want to be with my dad and my mom would drop us off. So we would be back and forth. And of course the situation there was a lot different from the situation at my mom's house, but we all still wanted to 
gravitate towards our father as boys. My mom had all boys. All she, boys. Yeah, she wanted okay. a girl. She always wanted was one girl, but she kept trying for a girl and ended up with four boys. So she gave <laughs> she up. She gave up. up. <laughs> so that was enough. That was enough. So were you close with your brothers growing up? Yeah, well, except for my, I mean, I had an older brother, younger three. I mean, we're only a couple years. All of us are two years apart. So we were very, very, very close and still are to okay. this day. And yeah. do they live around here? Yeah, all three of us still live here. My oldest brother uh, grew up, went to engineering school at FAMU and FSU School of Engineering, mm-hmm. moved to Cincinnati, got a great job at Procter & Gamble, and he's been there ever since. He does come and visit, but like he did live that storybook fairy tale of a lifestyle. I mean, he grew up in a nuclear household as well, which I wouldn't attribute it all to that, but I think that did make a difference. Mm-hmm. My mom worked extremely hard. I can even remember times when she even had a night job, like working at the the convenience store on the corner. I'm like, mom, we, we're straight. She's kind of always felt like, you know, she needed to make sure that if anything happened, that we had enough. So. Do you feel like you got some of your work ethic from her? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If I can work as hard as my mom, I probably wouldn't have to work as much. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I just, that's really all I remember her doing though, is like going to work, going to church and taking care of us. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like she did a good job. She did a wonderful job. Hats off to her. That's awesome. So what would you say was your favorite part of your childhood? What did you enjoy doing as a kid? All of my memory, like 90% of my memories uh, with me and my younger brother and my other brother, Sean, like, we would do everything together. I never was really into sports and things like that. So it was kind of just sibling camaraderie, not really rivalry because we rarely, well, we did. We, we did have a little bit of, yeah. <laughs> of rivalry sure. at times, as I think that's pretty normal. But yeah. I think the most part, I mean, we just used to just, because a lot of times we were home by ourselves because mm-hmm. my mom had to work, especially when she picked up the second job. So, I mean, 90, I would say most of my childhood, that's all I remember. I wasn't the... And I'm not going to blame my my home situation to why I wasn't the model pupil <laughs> in school, but I was always smart, like academically. I remember I was in gifted like my whole entire life. I remember skipping the second grade, going to the third, because I just kept surpassing everything academically. But I would think that yeah, being young and just being able to interact with my brothers, no matter what we were doing, I think is probably my biggest takeaway from my So you guys always had your back, always looking out for each other? It was always three of us. Yeah. Even my younger brother's like four years younger than me. And of course, as we got older, that seemed to be a bit closer. But when I'm 16 and he's 12, he's trying to... (laughs) (laughs) But he was always right there. So yeah, that that camaraderie, I think, actually helped kind of shape me and who I am as well. Sounds like you had a good life. Sounds like you had a loving family. You maybe didn't have everything that you could have had, but... You had what you needed and right. you loved each other. Absolutely. And I think that kind of attributes to like most people don't know. I guess I, I would call myself an extroverted introvert, mm-hmm. but like I'm not, I'm not really as much of a people person as people perceive me to be. Like my mom didn't let us leave the house. Like it was just us. Like we right. weren't supposed to leave the yard. We were supposed <laughs> to stay in the house. And she was a very protective. But I mean, I can understand that because we were kind of mischievous. And of course, we did escape the lair <laughs> on several <laughs> occasions and adventure out on our own. But but you I, were back when she got we home, were right? Made sure we were back, and if we weren't, then there was yeah, there were consequences. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of why I am the way I am now. Which I mean, I do love people, but I think my my ideal evening would be home on the couch. Sure. <laughs> So what was um, high school like for you? How would you describe your time during those those high school years? Uh, to be quite honest, I started at Lincoln. Yeah. 
Didn't work out so well. Yeah. Uh, I went from Lincoln to Lively. Uh, stayed at Lively. Um, so what well, happened to Lincoln? Uh, we didn't agree. I've never gotten into many fights or things like that. Every time I was ever reprimanded in school was because of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And I was always told that I talked too much. And I would continue talking. And now I talk for a living. So <laughs> <laughs> was it what you were was it that you were talking a lot or what you were saying? I, think it, was a little, I think it was a little bit of both. Yeah. Um I think that throughout my life, um my respect for authority sort of was misconstrued for lack of a better term. Um, I only listened to my mom. Mm. Like, even at a time, there was a point where my dad really couldn't discipline me for anything for the feelings I had towards him or the lack thereof. Right. Um, so in return, a lot of other authoritative figures um, really didn't get their point across to me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I caused my mother a lot of grief, <laughs> a lot of grief, but I think I kind of turned it around. So you went to Lively after went that? Went to Lively, yeah. And what did you study there? Um, it was a program called Project Escape, I want to say, which is kind of an alternative learning where you learn at your own pace, which was a much better fit for me because I could just like fly through my work. So I would just fly through my work. Uh, we weren't, I didn't stay there long enough to take up a trade. That was supposed to be the idea, but... Some kind of way my mom petitioned the school board um, to allow me to enter back into regular Leon County schools, and I ended up at Rickers. Okay. And that's where I graduated from. Oh, okay. Rickers High School, class of 98. Was Rickards different than a different experience for you than, Leon, than, uh, than Lincoln was? Back then, Rickards was a much different experience. There was a lot of racial tension mm. at Lincoln back then. Like, they would have days where it was just like uh, yeah. Like all out, I forget what they called those days, but everyone was ready. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I was glad to get out. I mean, not saying that everyone participated, but I guess the circle of friends that I that I uh, interacted with that was hmm. the thing. So yeah, I think lively was a good a good fit for. So me. there was less diversity at Rickard, so that oh, wasn't as much of a problem. Much less diversity. I yeah. think Rickards was probably eighty ninety percent African American back right. then. Yeah. Okay, so after high school, what was next for you? Immediately after high school, back then, like by like by then, my dad had started his business, which was a drywall company. So even during high school, um, on those days where I wasn't so uh, good in school and was asked to leave, <laughs> it was more it, it would excite me more than anything because my dad by then had taught me a trade, which was drywall, and I mean this was back in '96. 95, I was 15, 16 years old, and I would go to work with my dad and make like $15, $16 mm -hmm. an hour. That's tough was, work. Those things are heavy. Yeah, it was a lot of work. We did more finishing than hanging. Uh -huh. Okay. So we did a lot of drywall finishing, which was- You have the stilts yeah, and everything? Yeah, I used to walk stilts. I yeah. used to do it all, yeah. yeah. But I mean, being a kid, 15, 16 years old with a trade, I could yeah. earn 15 to $20 an hour, depending yeah. on who I was working for. I think that was kind of got me into the mode where I thought I all the time I wanted to be at work or- yeah. Owning my own business, I thought it was pretty cool that my dad, you know, had like 20 people working for him. And yeah. I was kind of like third in command because my <laughs> older brother was there and my dad. I was like, okay, I'm the boss's son. Like, y'all need to. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but, your dad was back in your life at this oh, point? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that. By what, like, like sometime middle in school, high school? Middle, middle school. Oh, okay. Middle school. All right. Middle school. Middle school. I can remember my dad getting it all back together. I remember he was back with nice cars and nice house and 
back on his feet doing so really, that really good. had to make you feel good? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was always a daddy's boy. Yeah. Like, I love my mom, but I was always – I always wanted to be around my dad. So. How did that impact your relationship with your mom when you were cl- close to your dad again? I mean, I'm sure she was happy for you. But. Yeah. At the same time, though, she she wanted all of us to be mama's boy. <laughs> Every yeah. mom wants. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. My youngest brother, I would definitely categorize him as a mama's boy, and if he hears this, I'm sure I've told him to his <laughs> face first. But um, yeah, I, I did. I love my mom dearly, but there were things, of course, that I needed to learn mm-hmm. that only my dad could teach me. And I thank God that he was able to pour those things into me before he left this earth. Yeah, yeah. So what? How long did you work for him? Um. I worked for my dad right after high school, um, and then I ended up moving to Gainesville, and I started my own drywall company hmm. for a brief stint. For about three years, I lived in Gainesville. Oh, how'd that go? I went well. met a girl, and I moved to Gainesville. Um, <laughs> by this time, I'd already had a son. Hmm. Um, I had my first son when I was 17. Um and that was kind of a tough uh, situation for quite some time. But, yeah, I ended up in Gainesville for about three years, and I, I moved back, actually, because I think I was about 21, 22. I got a phone call that my oldest son had been taken from his mother because of something that a situation that she was dealing with, and I had to get custody of him. So I think at 21 or 22, I was a full-time father. Well, I mean, that's yeah. obviously a, a life-changing <laughs> yeah, thing. It was a little so, different, yeah. <laughs> so what, how did you adjust to that? I had to move back to Tallahassee. Okay. Because I guess the nature of, of, of what she had going on, DCF thought it uh, best that they'd be able to monitor uh, his new situation, of course, because he had never living with me, lived with me full-time. Um, so I did move back to Tallahassee. Um, I ended up having a second son. Yeah, I moved pretty fast. Hmm. I ended up with a second son, but yeah, my oldest. As, I mean, I've had him now. He actually turned 21 today. Oh. So, so I think he was four at the time when I got him and turned 21 today. What's life looking like at this point for you? Life is different. Um, I figured out I didn't want to be a drywall guy. Right. Uh, it was good. It was good money. Hard work. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. A, I mean, I'm accustomed to hard work. Not a fan of hard right. work. I always felt like, and not to knock anyone else in those trades, but I was always told. I've always told myself that I work smart before I work hard. Right. So I ended up. Uh, my uncle was. Uh, he and my dad had opened an indoor flea market on South Monroe Street. Okay. The Allen Shannon Indoor Flea Market, which was huge. Like it was like an old Win Dixie building that they remodeled, and it was probably like a hundred different businesses inside and I just remember seeing like like dang they're not doing any work but they make it money <laughs> which <laughs> appealed to you right, right? Yeah, yeah. That, made, that made a lot of sense so, man, I just figured like I just need some money so that I can like create these opportunities for other people and then I can actually thrive off of creating opportunities so uh, a little while later the indoor flea market shut down I used to help them with the indoor flea market and I was still doing drywall with my dad on and off um and my dad passed. And that kind of changed everything. I got that point, I knew I didn't want to do drywall anymore. Like when my dad passed, really my only motivation to do it was to go because I was working with my dad. Like, But once my dad passed, um, I decided that was not what I wanted to do anymore. And my uncle and I opened a clothing store on South Adams Street, Exclusive Fashions. 
and he and I ran the clothing store. And um, I thought it was pretty cool that I would rent the back half of the building where the clothing store was. And I rented that out to a tattoo shop, and I started a detail business on the outside. And I also had food vendors on the other side. So it was pretty cool because we were adjacent to the Harvey's parking lot on mm-hmm. South Adams, if you're familiar. Yeah, yeah. So they used to always get like a lot of people down there like during like family home games and things like that. So it was a thriving. We did really, really good for a while. So that's what I did. So what, what brought that to an end? Um, my uncle ended up in a situation, <laughs> another one of those situations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah situations life, life, make life, things change, right? My life right? has been a situation, man. My mom is always telling me, son, life is filled with swift transitions. Yeah. And she couldn't be, I mean, it's right. the absolute truth. So, yeah, my uncle ended up in a situation, um, and, yeah, that kind of came to an abrupt halt. So that so then you had to reevaluate what you were doing? I had or? to reevaluate, reinvent, um, dealt with my own situations. Um, and But I still had kids that I had to take care of. So um, that being said, I ended up in the car business. Would you say that, what was your frame of mind during all this? Would you say were you were happy just hustling or were you, was it, was, it tough? Or? It was a grind, man. Yeah. Like I can just remember days when like, like it was a nonstop grind, like especially trying to be an entrepreneur and a single parent um, at such a young age and really not knowing what I was doing um, and still harboring a lot of things that I had dealt with growing up and the fact that I had just lost my dad, like very unexpectedly. Um, he died from a heart attack of some sort. Um, he was only 55 years old. Um, so I didn't really know you know, that whole guidance piece, you know what I mean? It kind of wasn't there at the beginning then when I really, really needed him the most. When I was finally trying to understand what the world and how the world worked, like, you know, God saw fit to call him home. So it was it was tough. It was very tough. But um, I was glad my uncle um, was there to kind of feed off of what he had going on. So I kind of picked up on certain things from him. But outside of that, like, it was just, I mean, that was a survival mode for a long time. Like I just knew I had a child to take care of and another son. By then my my second son had moved back to Chicago with his mom. So that was kind of tough because she and I had went our separate ways. So now I had a kid all the way in Chicago that I had to try and provide for as well as a child here that I had sole custody for. So yeah, it was a nonstop grind. That's a lot going on. A whole lot going on. This is all before I turned 30. So around this time you entered the car business and um, you said it was kind of, you kind of found your niche with it. Why do you think it's such a good fit for you? I mean, it, I think it all starts all the way back from clothing store and everything else. Like it's about building relationships. Like I don't consider myself selling you a car. I consider myself making a friend. Like, and at the end of the day, like once we can get on the same page as to what you need and I can figure out if I have what you need or if I have anything close to what you need that would work to fit your needs. Like they don't have to be pushing. I mean, the vehicle will sell itself. Like it's my job to make you trust me enough to whereas you know that I have your best intentions at heart. Like I'm here to sell you a car, of course. And if you're here to buy a car, I would hope that I would be the one to help you facilitate this purchase. <laughs> Not to go into salesman mode. But yeah, I don't I don't I got a lot of times like and I don't know if my owner Chuck I mean excuse me on this, but a lot of times I don't know as much about the cars as I should. 
I do know I can go to service and make sure this car has been checked out. It's safe. There's nothing wrong with it. It has four doors. You need a third row seat. It has the third row seat you were looking for. It has the V6 engine that'll tow your camper. Like it has everything you need. So at that point, it's just to make you smile and make you feel comfortable. I mean, it's one of the second largest investments you'll make in your life. And I mean, that takes a certain amount of trust or pushiness to make this transaction go through. And I think that building trust with folks is what gets you those repeat customers and those referrals. And that's pretty much how I live right now. So you have your two sons, but then you have your daughter. Did you really have any idea how different that would actually be? Okay, so my daughter, she will be turning 11 this year. So semi as my son moved to Chicago, I moved fast, Dave. But my life has been like <laughs> pew, pew, pew. So <laughs> my son moved to Chicago. Uh He's now 19, so she'll be 11. So it's, it's some years passed in between. Um, but I end up meeting her mom, and she came about. Um, that's like my life, though. Like, she's just, she changed everything. Yeah. Like, yeah, my attitude changed. Everything changed about me. Well, tell me about that. How, how, my daughter, like, she, she softened me up pretty good. I say, <laughs> <laughs> the same life. Like, they say, like, like how uh, boiling water will soften a potato but harden an egg. Mm-hmm. Like, it seemed like life that used to harden me kind of softened me up once my daughter was put into the pot with me. Like, it just seemed like everything was right with the world. Um, and... I knew then, though, that I had to become someone that I wasn't at the time. And that was more understanding, um, less angry of a person. Um, And I I put a lot of my childhood, whatever traumas that I had dealt with that were um, causing me to go through life the way I was, I had to put all of that to the side. Not that my boys didn't do that, but there's sure. a certain effect that a daughter has on them. And I'm sure you can it, attest to that. I can. Yeah. Like, but it, and it probably started the first time you looked in her eyes when you held her, right? the very first time I was right. like, I was so protective of her. Like, I did not let anyone hold her. Like, even my mom. I didn't, want, <laughs> I didn't want anyone to hold her. Like, her mom's family, like, I had a serious issue. Like, I wanted to keep her with me, like, all of the time. Um, so yeah, she, that was, you know, she's entering some tough years here for you to protect her, right? Yeah, I know Dave. Yeah. <laughs> she's got an older brother that, uh, he's definitely the protective kind. How would you say that your, your boys and your daughter kind of fuel your passion, motivate you for, for, you know, what you're doing now? Um, I just know that they're watching. I know they're always watching, even when they pretend they're not watching, like they're watching. Um, and I have a sense of responsibility. I mean, I've always had it, but even more so now. I have a son in college. He's at Howard University, still trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do with the rest of his life. I got a kid, like I said, at Sean just turned 21, um, who's at a very pivotal point in his life and trying to figure it out. And I remember back when I was at a certain point and I really needed that fatherly advice my dad was had passed mm. and I'm just trying to make sure that I keep myself physically, mentally, everything healthy and prepared to when, you know, when they really, really need me the most. I mean, I think right now they're in a stage where they have to kind of figure things out on their own. Mm-hmm. And I, I refuse to baby them through these, through these next uh, chapter. But I just feel like, especially with my daughter, like I try and model myself to be the kind of guy that she should kind of grow up in a, be attracted to. Mm. And I try to model myself to be the type of guy that my kid, my sons want to grow up to be. 
So, I mean, there's a certain amount of pressure, but at the same time, I think that pressure is what fuels me to get up and do what I do every day. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell, and we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001, because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. So Terrence, you're, um, you know, you're really good at using social media to encourage people and to get your ideas out there. But what do you really think about this relatively new communications tool? I think social media is a very powerful, for lack of a better term, weapon. And this weapon can be used for good, and it can also be used for evil. And it also gives people an opportunity to sort of reinvent themselves. Like, you can come to social media and be whoever you are, whoever you'd like to be, um, because you'll be in contact with people who've never met you before. And I chose to create a platform that was positive, and I tried to be as uplifting as possible. Like, for instance, I don't use profane language on social media. Not true. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> for, for the real world. <laughs> but I do know that people yeah. will judge you by the things you say and do, and it just makes more sense to be more cognizant of the things you say and do on social media because you never, ever know. Like, I know there's only you and I in this room right now, but right. social media, you never know who's reading your post or how it be shared and who will read it down the line. Ten years from now, right. someone could read what you post today. So I always try and be as positive and uplifting. I mean, it's created a platform. Like I have a lot of people that inbox me, like something you said on social media just mm -hmm. brightened my day or made my day or thank you so much for the things. And a lot of those are, I don't know if they're divine. I don't know. Like sometimes I just have thoughts and I put them in a post and they get a lot of likes. With a couple emojis? Yeah, with a couple, I got, yeah, a couple I of strong my, arms. I switched or? my emojis up. Yeah, I'm on the little fist in the heart now. I think that's been going over pretty good. It was the little thinking face, but I had to switch it up. <laughs> you also have a powerful and unrelenting passion for encouraging and empowering the African-American community in Tallahassee. Tell me about where that comes from. I, I think a lot of that comes, like, from my dad. Like, I can remember when we were younger, like, in that whole transition phase, like, middle school. Like, I remember they used to have the, I think it was the either the, the Martin Luther King March to the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And it, like, they changed it. Like, it used to march from C.K. Steel Plaza to the front of the Capitol off of Appalachian Parkway. Mm -hmm. But some way, somebody voted, and they changed it and said, now we're marching to the front of the new Capitol. My dad said, no, that's the back of the Capitol. <laughs> so I can remember him up there with, like, big signs. And, like, he would just teach us, like, inclusion. Like making it less important. Right, making yeah. it less important. Yeah, right. making it less important. But, I mean, I'm not anti-anything, but I do understand that as a community, especially watching things change the way they have. Like, I can remember, like I said, the indoor flea market, Frenchtown, all these different things where people of color had so many opportunities and they weren't handed to them. They were actually afforded the opportunity to work and acquire these things. And I just think that over the years, um, 
through whatever systematic oppression. I mean, not to blame anything, but like welfare projects are disappearing. Like it's just so many things going on. Like black neighborhoods are like disappearing. Like I can remember, like especially like Frenchtown area. Like I can remember like houses on every street, businesses. Now it's like student housing. And I, I just try and help people understand because a lot of people like, repair is due to a lack of knowledge. And I feel like I've been afforded opportunities to be in the room where a certain knowledge is being spread that a lot of people aren't afforded those opportunities. So I try and spread that that wealth of knowledge when I can. Do you think the African-American community does enough to support its own businesses? No. I was reading up on Black Wall Street. You familiar? Mm-mm. Black Wall Street was this huge, flourishing African-American community. And back then, like the black dollar circulated. The reason why Black Wall Street was so prominent and fast forward, they destroyed it. They they Mm -hmm. blew it up. They burned it to the ground. Like doctors, lawyers, all these things at Black Wall Street. It was. was You mean in New York? It wasn't New York. I'm going to have to look it up. Dang. But it's in a big city. It was in. Yeah, it was in America. And this is a true story. Like hundreds and hundreds of of civilized people, not slaves, not like these were people, doctors, lawyers, educated folks were murdered and killed and city burned to the ground. They don't teach us this in school. No, I've never heard of it. Which is crazy. Um, But yeah, it definitely definitely happened. Um, But the black dollar doesn't circulate within the community as long as it should. And that's even our, in Tallahassee. Oh, everywhere. Right. Everywhere. Like it's like it's like uh, hours. Like as fast as people can get their check, get home, take a shower, the black dollar leaves the community. I felt a quick interruption was important here to insert some facts about Black Wall Street. As Terrence said, there was a thriving African American business community, commonly referred to as Black Wall Street, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A race riot in 1921 saw white residents massacre as many as 300 black residents, injure hundreds more, and raise the neighborhood within hours. The riot was one of the most devastating massacres in the history of U.S. race relations, destroying the once-thriving Greenwood community. Do you think people feel like they can't get the options they're looking for or can't find what what they want? I think that there's a reason why the options aren't in the community. And it's not due to the fact that we aren't willing to reinvest in our communities. It's the resources aren't there. Like they have these zoning processes now that will afford more affluent builders and investors discounts or tax breaks on property in these target areas, which are mostly black communities, Mm -hmm. to encourage them to basically gentrify the community in a community where we can't sustain ourselves because the resources just aren't there, um, which I think is a form of, I mean, this, and it didn't just start happening today. And I'm not as well-versed on the situation to just point fingers at anyone, but I do know that right now, if I can go buy a block in the black community and create a strip mall and offer it to black investors at a discounted price or tax breaks, I'm pretty sure that they would be more in tune, but it's just the resources aren't there. So, yeah, I think that the lack of options and also black folks have this stigma that black should be cheaper. Um, we should get a discount. Um, you mean amongst the African-American oh, community? Course. Yes, sir. Yes, like, sir. come on, man, give me a break. Give me a break. Yeah, right. it's always like you don't go in Walmart and tell Walmart what you're going to pay for <laughs> for their goods in Walmart. But, yeah, there is. a, And there's also that, I mean, a lot of black people think that white people do stuff better. Like, I know black people that won't let white 
won't let black people work on their cars. I know black people that don't want black people working in their houses. I mean, it's just, I don't know. We've been programmed wrong. Hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with why the black dollar escapes us. You know, when we get to something like Working Class Wednesdays, mm -hmm. where you are actively doing your part to bring small businesses together, to let them not only learn from each other and network, but also exchange goods and do right. business. So tell me about Working Class Wednesdays and what's that, what, what that's all about. Right. So actually, my initial idea for work, and it's still the idea for Working Class Wednesday, is to bridge the gap between all business in the local community. I've also grown to realize that you typically attract what you are first. So if I put out a publication, most of my friends on Facebook would probably look like me. Um, and most of their friends probably look like me. So, of course, my advertisements would reach people that look like me. But that was not its original intention. No, 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 okay. no. My original intent was to gain more exposure for the businesses that may be located on the opposite end of the tracks, opposite side of the tracks. That's why I host my events at different locations so that I can garner exposure for those businesses to all demographics. Because I feel like since the black dollar ain't circulating properly in the black community, we need more than just black dollars in order to sustain these businesses so that they can stay afloat. So Working Class Wednesday, my idea was to bring awareness and uh patronism to these businesses from folks who may not go to where the physical location is to patronize them. Right. So if I have an event at the Edison where folks frequent and now they have an opportunity to, to patronize a business that might be in, on the south side, I thought that work, that's what the idea of Working Class Wednesday originated from. So is it working? It's working to a certain extent. And isn't there a benefit just exposing people to stuff they wouldn't see otherwise? Right, absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I want to I think I want to just be a connector of people. Like I want to be able to be like that, that that vessel that that gets people across that that whatever divide that they may have. With. Because I mean, I've met people with awesome talents, awesome products, people that make their own products, but they just don't have the clientele to sustain. So I mean, they're miserable and dead end jobs and trying to be an entrepreneur on the side because I mean, dreams have to be funded. Yeah. Well, there's. There's no doubt people are listening to you. So why do you think your voice has gained some traction over the last couple of years? I mean, it's all still very, very new to me. Like I said, a lot of this started with Working Class Wednesday, which right. is less than three years ago. But I've been told by a lot of people that my transparency and the fact that a lot of people can relate to me, people that wish they had a voice, can relate to me. Like we, I'm a firm believer that, and I know I'll probably get backlash for this, but I say it in confidence that the black people in power are usually the reason why black people aren't in power. Um, what do you mean by that? Black leadership is made up of pawns. Um, black leadership, for the most part, are people that were put in place for a specific purpose. By who? By... The majority, for lack of better terms. And local oh, it, leaders uh, have not made people mad enough. Yeah, I mean, I, we do have a couple of folks that I respect. I do. But I feel like 
And another thing is like most of the local leadership isn't even local. Like most of these people aren't from Tallahassee. Most of these people have no no stake in this community. Like they don't they didn't watch their grandmother struggle, their father struggle, their mother struggle in this community. Mm-hmm. Most of these folks came here looking for opportunity and now they have opportunity, they're satisfied with opportunity because that's what they came here for. And I truly, truly, truly believe that. Um, so do you have political aspirations? I, d- d- yes and no. I think I would make a great voice for my community, and I think I'm doing an okay job with that now. Would I appreciate my skeletal remains to remain in the closet? Kind of, sort of. Um, there are things I've gone through in life that I think that, have, you know, if talked about in the wrong room may rub some folks the wrong way which I'm ready to cross that bridge because I know it's coming. But I mean, um, I'm But how have those things impacted you? I mean, how have you- Oh, I became just stellar. (laughs) (laughs) The person I know today. Right, Right. yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I've gone through things that I think would have drove a lot of people to not want to leave the house in the morning. Like, even this past summer, like, was a- Real tough summer. Like, I've had summers like that before, though, that I don't speak about now. But I've gone through certain things that I think that a lot of people who have been afforded the same opportunities and platforms that I have haven't gone through. And I think that that kind of, I wouldn't say warps my perspective, but my outlook, my point of view of things are a lot different because I've seen the other side of a lot of things that folks have not experienced. So that 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 kind of, and, you, and that's important to be represented. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're going to represent people, you should be able to um, relate to the struggles and the things that they're going through. It's kind of hard to speak on a situation that you know absolutely nothing about. And I think that's what most of our local African-American leadership, a lot of times, not that they don't try. It's just, it's kind of, I mean, I can't really tell you about what's going on in South Africa. I've never lived in South I don't know anything about it. And it's kind of like this, it's that sort of disconnect, I think, at times. Okay. All right, I'm going to jump now into a couple of the other things you're involved with, the Frenchtown Rising, Frenchtown Family You Get Down event. Yeah, that's Tell me crazy, about that. right? Yeah. So my uncle, Mr. Kayla Norris Barber, same uncle. Same uncle. From the, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. So he had this, this grand idea of, you know, of course, they do the downtown get down for Florida State. Yeah. And that's another thing, like, and it's crazy because of the separation of Tallahassee, like, this was our second week doing it, and I mean, it's um, city approved it. I mean, we got you know TPD and Mr. Matlow. I just want to stop and say Jeremy Matlow is probably one of the greatest local leaders that I've mm-hmm. come across since I've been privy to this whole political uh, landscape. But um, he absolutely uh, was very instrumental in making all that take place. But like, it's been an awesome event. Like, we probably had about four thousand people. Yeah, down there the first week, and probably five thousand the second week. I mean, it's so that's never, never happened before. Never, ever, ever, ever happened. Never, ever happened. Um, which is kind of weird that <laughs> we don't get to, you know, to have those sort of events in our communities. Um, two, I mean, we do have two universities here, and you would think that if FSU has a big downtown get down downtown, you would think there would be something. Um, that the city had their hands in to promote, you know, unity and whatever and for FAMU. But this is the absolute first year that it's been done. Actually, only two events in. Yeah. It's it awesome. Like we, we So have, how would you rate it so far? Oh, man. I would I, I would be going over to say 10. Yeah. But I'm, and I'm biased. So I would still give it a nine. 
But I mean, of course, there's several. There's kinks need to be worked out. But I mean, it was all peaceful, a great time. I mean, no families. Oh man, families, yeah. kids, entertainment for everyone. Um, tons of vendors, so it affords uh, more local businesses yeah. to come down and patronize. I see now you have an opportunity to be patronized by four thousand people for only one night. But I mean, that's a it introduces lot, that, it to right, them. absolutely, and that introduced to those people. So I mean, just yeah. the networking aspect of that, I think, has been fundamental. For a lot of folks, and I mean, family homecoming is coming up next week, so I can imagine the, the the crowd will attract them. Tell me about Terrence L. Barber, LLC. Terrence L. Barber, LLC. That's the connector. That's that's where I connect all the dots. Okay. Um, of course, I've also become a membership director at the Big Ben Minority Chamber of Commerce. Right. Um, but Terrence Barber, LLC, Terrence L. Barber, LLC, is the umbrella that encompasses the Entrepreneur Resource Center, um, which is a virtual entrepreneur resource center that myself and a guy, Brian Wyatt, of course you know Brian, I know Brian. He's our LT yep. classmate. Because yep. we're still kind of, we had to kind of put it on the back burner because we both do have families and kind of, overindulged, I think, in this uh, serial entrepreneurship <laughs> thing that we've gotten ourselves engulfed right, right. in. But um, Terrence L. Barber LLC, is, in, is it encompasses all that. Even my, um, my my stint in the car industry and Working Class Wednesday, everything I do. So I it's think, your umbrella? Yeah, kind of thing? yeah. Okay. I wanted to brand my name. I couldn't think of a better name than my own. So, <laughs> <laughs> When in doubt, go with yourself. Go with right? yourself, right. I, I made that middle initial very prominent. <laughs> I don't like people to print my name or say it without it. No. Terrence, what do you want people to know m- most about you? What's the most important thing that you want people to think of when they think of Terrence L. Barber? Um... I want people to understand that my frankness, um, my straightforwardness is, is out of love. Um, I'm not right all the time, but I'm consistent in who I am. Um, if you don't like me today, it's a pretty good chance that you won't like me tomorrow <laughs> because I'm going, you know, I may be more susceptible. I may under, m- a little more understand. We may be able to have a conversation where we can kind of, Bridges gap between you know our differences, but I try to be as consistent as possible. I don't, I don't um, pander very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I can appear to be standoffish at times. People have told me that I have this smug look about myself. <laughs> but I, that just means I'm thinking. Right. It's not that I mean I'm intentionally trying to be unapproachable right. or unattainable. But I mean, like I say, man, I have a, I have a good heart. I feel, and I, I want my community to thrive. But I want everyone in my community to thrive, not just the folks that who have been afforded opportunity. So I try my best to create opportunity to where as I can spread those opportunities hmm. around. That's my that's one of my biggest goals, man. After taking care of my kids and getting to heaven, I want to make sure that my community is different because of something that I did. Okay, well, the name of this podcast is How I Got Here. So we've talked about how you got to this spot. Where do you think here might be for you in three to five years from now? Three to five years. I got some. I have a few goals that I'm speaking to the atmosphere. I would love to create a space, not just a strip mall, but something very similar to the indoor flea market that my father and um, my uncle facilitated as a hub to help launch not only minority-owned businesses, but I think that under one roof, people are more sustainable when the resources are far in between um, 
So I think three to five years, if I don't um, fall into this whole political aspiration that some folks are trying their best to encourage me <laughs> to do, um, I just think I'll be here, man, finishing up raising my daughter, continuously educating myself and, and just growing as a person. But I know that there's something next for me. I mean, Working Class Wins is an awesome, awesome initiative. But I've been feeling more and more lately like there's something greater that has to spawn from all of this. And I think that collectively, the things that I have done are going to some kind of way pyramid into something. I'm not 100% certain, Dave. Like, I don't, I'll be honest, I'm not one of those people that sit down and like, I don't have a planner. I am finishing up a degree at Florida a right now, so I think I'll have that out of the way. And, What's that in? Um, business. Okay. Yeah, so finishing that up, and I just want to grow. I just want but I want to see the community grow as a whole. That was Terrence L. Barber. And I think whether it's up front in a public position or making things happen behind the scenes, the future of Tallahassee will continue to be impacted by his influence. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.